Amen. Today we are talking about a vision for our future, and today specifically we're talking about our mission. I got a couple of cartoons to show you here. Have you seen some comics like this? This may kind of really ring a bell for you if you've ever been a part of an organization where they're working on a mission statement. The, the mission statement is framed up there and it says, whatever. That's our mission statement. We wrote it on the same day we switched to decaf coffee. I, I, some of you like me, can you, you, know, you can uh, share in those sentiments. If we don't have the uh, caffeinated coffee, then who knows what's going to happen. We got another one here. So the mission statement is talk about sports and do just enough work to keep from getting fired. So that's the mission statement, that place of business. And so, of course, it says, who, put us, who was put in charge of writing this new mission statement? You got another one here. So the, the little bubble says, okay, it's time to brainstorm our mission statement. Or for those of you who would prefer, Mabel here will be standing by with a, with a stick uh, to poke you, or standing by to poke you in the sharp eye with a stick, or poke you in the eye with a sharp stick. So she said, you know, some of you, it's like, it's like you'd rather just get poked in the eye with a sharp stick than do a mission statement. But... Today we're going to talk about our mission, our mission, and I'm going to show you another thing, a frame here, a vision frame. Um, This is part of, as those of most of you know, we're walking through uh, looking at our vision uh, as a church, our future vision. Where does God have us? What does God have us doing for our future? And part of the tool that we're looking at um, to, to look at vision proper is what's called a vision frame. And so as we're looking at vision proper, that being the goal of which we're shooting for, there's a couple of things uh, that that frame it, four things, in fact, that frame it. Mission, captured by the question, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, it's obviously the question of any organization, including the local church. Values, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Strategy, how are we doing it? And then measures, when are we successful? That one's speaking specifically of Um, the disciple, a person within our local church. How do we know that we're doing the right thing? How does it manifest itself in the life of a believer? So we're going to be walking over the course of the next uh, few weeks through our vision. And so I'm going to be sharing some of the preaching duty with Pastor Josh. He's going to be walking through uh, this sermon series with us. And as we look at these specific things, we're going to look at our mission we're going to look at values. Why are we doing these things? Because we, glory, we, we value the glory of God and, and all of these other things we value. What is our strategy? How are we looking at doing it? And how, of course, do we know we're successful? So many of you will um, see those things when you think mission statement and just like that cart, those cartoons capture, it's almost like your eyes roll up in the back of your head because you think in this particular organization of which I've worked, we have done countless mission statements, whatever it may be. But it's still, it's important for us to say, what are we doing? Why do we exist? Why does any local church exist? What are we here for? Well, the interesting thing is, is that every local church, just like ours, we essentially have the exact same mission. Now, the language may be different. How we, um, how we kind of collect that and how we kind of... Uh, look at that within our own context and our own language may be different, but each church, every church on the face of this earth essentially has the same mission, and that is the great commission given to us by none other than Jesus Christ. We see it framed here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're very familiar, many of you, with these verses. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, his apostles, those that were gathered. And of course, it's a charge giving to all of his disciples. That's us that follow him throughout all generations. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us within this commission that he's given us, this mission that every church has. So the mission of a local church isn't necessarily to get big. The mission of the local church isn't to uh, meet all of the needs of its members. The mission of the local church is not to make us happy. The, the mission of the local church is not to, as a, uh, as a civic organization or a civic club, that if people pay their dues, that there are certain things that they expect back from it. The mission of any church, which is the mission of every Christian, is to make disciples. To make disciples. And now when we think about any mission statement, so every church has the same mission. When we think about any mission statement, it's only effective if it is clear. It's only effective if it's concise, if it's too wordy, who knows, you, you, you lose it. And it's compelling. So we looked at um, our current mission statement as a church. And we said, does it tick off these boxes? And we felt like it could be tightened up, it could be more clear, it could be more concise, more compelling as it is related, of course, to the mission that every, every Christian has been given, every church has been given, which is to make disciples. To make disciples. And if it's not, you might end up with a mission statement like this. It is our mission to continue to authoritatively provide access to diverse services to stay relevant in tomorrow's world. And you say, what in the world? That is like uh, buzzword bingo, right? You know, I love those cartoons that speak of buzzword bingo. Well, in fact, this is not an organization's mission statement. There is no company out here. This is actually a mission statement that has been generated from a website called Mission Statement Generator. And they just generate web, uh, mission statements based off buzzwords. And so if it's not clear, if it's not concise, if it's not compelling, it can be really great language, but not really tell us what we're, what we're supposed to do. So as we were walking through as a vision team, how can we really capture... How can we really capture what it means to make disciples? How can we really capture language that would really speak to us about making disciples in a clear, concise, compelling way? And how can we keep Jesus at the forefront? How can we, can we serve and remind ourselves of the preeminence of Jesus? Well, this is the mission statement. We've talked about it before if you've been with us in report nights, but we're preaching on it today. This is our new mission statement as we move forward. Simply but powerfully this. Leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. Leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. You see, when we think about the Great Commission, it talks about make disciples. So as we might say kind of in Christian shorthand, we'll talk about disciple making, which is essentially the practice of making disciples. Now, when we think about making disciples, there's two sides to that coin. It's one coin that has two sides. On one side is what we might, have class, what we might classically call evangelism or missions, 
reaching people who are far from God, those that are lost, that desperately need the message of Jesus Christ. They need the gospel. They need to commit their life unto Jesus Christ, what we might have classically called evangelism or reaching or mission. The other side of that coin, the same coin, is what we might classically call discipleship or maturity, helping a person who gives their life to Jesus Christ grow in their faith, grow in Christ-likeness, and they too repeat the process, repeat the process of leading their friends to Christ, making disciples, helping them grow. You see, so disciple-making or making disciples is a two-sided coin, two-sided coin which encompasses evangelism and discipleship, reaching people for Christ and helping them grow in maturity, grow in Christ-likeness. That's what we see here. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. So as we think about our, our specific passage that we'll draw from today, obviously we'll touch back quite heavily on the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. But I want to go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Because it is almost a mission statement, if you will, of Paul and his traveling companions. In our last sermon series, if you joined us for that, we were in the book of Acts in which we were looking at the, the beginning the beginning of the early Christian church. And obviously a main player within that was Paul and those of his traveling companions, his cohorts, as they went throughout the known world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching the message that all people are separated from God because of their sin. And if that sin is not taken care of, they'll be separated from all eternity from God in a place called hell rather than dwelling with Jesus Christ in all of his glory, God the Father in heaven. And the only way that that's done, the only way that that's accomplished where forgiveness uh, is brought forth to the person is through repentance, turning away from their old way of life and turning towards Jesus Christ as the one, the only one, the Son of God who came to earth to save us from our sins. Disciple-making, disciple-making. And so as Paul and his traveling companions were going throughout the known world, they were taking this good news of the gospel. And as we look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it's almost a concise statement of their mission. And so let's go there today. 28 and 29 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Him we preach, Jesus, simply, Jesus we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus to this end, I also labor. You see the work there, the hard work, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Every man, he says, every man, every man, their drive, their passion, their broken heart, their empathy is for the people of the world that are desperate and hurting and hopeless and far from God. And as he draws a bow around the whole thing, he says, we strive, we labor, we work hard at this, but guess what? We don't do it in our own power. We know we go in the power of Jesus who gave us this great mission. So as we look today at this mission statement and as we draw from it some correlation between Paul's writings here and Paul's mission, we're going to look at leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. Lord God, as we come this morning, may our hearts be reminded, may our hearts be challenged, may we be invigorated again for disciple making. God, may we remember at the forefront of all that we're doing as a church, what must be present is disciple 
making. It is all for naught. It is all for naught. It is all for naught unless we are seeing people come to faith in Christ and growing in that faith, repeating the process of those people sharing their faith now with their friends and the gospel being multiplied, the kingdom being proliferated throughout the world. Lord, we know we strive at it, but we don't do it in our own power. You go with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the first statement and the first point of our sermon today is the first little phrase from our mission statement, which is leading people, very simply, leading people. You see what it encompasses from this simple little phrase here that we could gloss right over is the fact that we can, as the old adage says, we can lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink, right? We can lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink. We are ones that cannot force someone to give their life to Jesus, nor can we force them to grow in their faith. However, what is, what is implicit in that and explicit in that is that we have responsibility. As I've said quite often before, as a church and as an individual believer, you and we are God's plan A for reaching the world. He has no plan B. It's not because he's not unprepared. It's not because he's... Uh, unprepared but it's because in his wisdom and his sovereignty he saw fit that we would reach the world he would reach the world through us through the local church and through individual believers we have responsibility as individuals and as a corporate body of a local church this family known as a local church as the body of christ to lead people to faith in jesus and to help them grow in that relationship that full-orbed picture, that two-sided coin of disciple-making. So very simply, before we get in kind of the meat of the other two statements, we have responsibility. We can't make it happen, but we recognize that we as individuals and we as a local church are God's plan for reaching the world, leading people. Secondly, we see this, to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus. You see, this kind of encapsulates what we would know as people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Our responsibility in that being evangelism. Why did we settle on the words to follow Jesus? Well, we settled on those words, first of all, Jesus, because of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We wanted the preeminence of Jesus in all that we said within this statement. But also, that's the very language that Jesus himself used. Constantly, throughout his ministry, he would say, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. It, it was his call to the individuals to surrender their life. Your life is no longer your own. You're turning from your old way of life, and you are turning to me, Jesus would say. Come and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. So again, our responsibility in this as an individual and as a local church is that we are leading people to follow Jesus. We are doing all that we can to see that people turn from their old way of life and through repentance of sin and turning to Jesus Christ, that they will accept him as their Savior. And they will, as Jesus says in his own words, they might be born again, born anew, born from above. So we see the preeminence of Jesus and we see the same words that he uses, follow me, follow me, that commitment of their life. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says this, but we preach Christ crucified, 
Paul says again in his writings to the Corinthian church, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. It was an issue to them. And to the Greeks, they say it's just foolishness. But in all of that, Paul would say Jesus must be preeminent. We preach nothing unless we preach Jesus. We speak nothing unless we speak Jesus. We are doing nothing unless Jesus Christ is preeminent in all that we do. So we are leading people to follow Jesus. Romans 10.15 says this, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And of course, leading up to this, he says, How will they know unless someone comes and preaches? How will the lost world know the message of Jesus Christ unless someone comes to preach? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. As we know from the context of Paul's writings and his traveling throughout the world, obviously there were certain times in which you would say there's what they would do. They'd gather a crowd, they'd preach the gospel, which is more akin to what we kind of think of here as a preacher preaching. But throughout their, their travels, throughout their times, and really a translation of the, that Greek word is to proclaim. Everywhere they went, as we see reflected here in Colossians 1.28, everywhere they went, everywhere they went, they were proclaiming the good news. And so again, as our focal passage today, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 28, Him, Jesus, we preach, warning man, every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. You see, he also says that we're warning every man. Warning every man. We're warning them of the dangers and the pitfalls of a life lived pursuing the things of the world. As we've spoken about many times before and as we looked at specifically in our study a number of months ago in 1 John, as, 1 John, or as John under the writing and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaks quite often about the world, the world system, the world system imbued by the power of Satan which is leading us astray, leading people all over the globe year after year and towards following the world system for happiness instead of pursuing Jesus Christ, the only source of happiness and forgiveness and freedom and salvation. He says, we are warning every man not only about the world, but they are warning them about the dangers of hell. You see, that's not a popular sentiment. It's not a popular statement. It's not a popular world in our modern culture in which we live. But we cannot avoid the fact that the most loving human being to ever walk the face of the earth, none other than Jesus Christ himself, spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. Now, was he trying to be coercive? Was he trying to use scare tactics? To scare someone into a decision for him? Absolutely not. He knew a person has not repented. A person has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. A person has not been born again. Unless they come to a place where there is a, there is a deep sorrow over their sin. And there is a love, a love for Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there is no salvation. However, he said, there is a consequence. There's a consequence for spending one's whole life walking away from the Lord as, as the Lord is graciously reaching down in faith and love and in no better way is it exemplified than through Jesus Christ himself if we walk away from that uh, time after time over the course of our life. He's warning us against those consequences. So they're warning every man. Warning every man. You see, withholding information, withholding information, about the dangers of rejecting Jesus Christ, whether it be the reality of hell or whether it be the reality of a life 
pursuing the things of the world that leave us empty and dry, withholding information from those that you know, co-workers, family members, those that we know collectively as a church. Withholding information is not love. That's not loving. We must speak the truth. Speak the truth. And so we are leading people to follow Jesus leading people to follow Jesus and, as we say in the final phrase of our mission statement, and live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. You think about it, what is the ultimate manifestation of discipleship? Think about discipleship just in common culture. You know, the word is not germane only to Christianity. You know, really discipleship means any sort of kind of an apprentice relationship or a relationship between a teacher and a student in which there is uh, a student that is learning from a teacher, and of course, that, that student begins to take on the characteristics, the thoughts, the life of the teacher. Really, when you think about discipleship in any context, the ultimate manifestation of a student reflecting the master, discipleship, is to think, speak, and act as the teacher. In short, they are to live like the teacher the ultimate manifestation of discipleship is does the student live like the teacher you see we're gonna have a little preview here of one side of our vision frame which was measures measures you know when we talk about measures of are we successful as a church in accomplishing our mission those measures are related specifically to the individual church member the individual disciple And we want our church members, our disciples, as we're collectively as disciples, to be able to answer yes to a series of questions in their personal life. I'm going to give you a preview of one of these today as it's related to discipleship or living like Jesus. We want all of us to be able to answer yes to this question. Does my life reflect Jesus? Does my life reflect Jesus? Simply put, can you think of a greater manifestation of discipleship than we are to live like Jesus? Now we know we cannot do it in perfection of holiness because he was the holy, sinless God on earth, the only sinless being to ever walk the face of the earth, but yet he has given us the calling to walk as he walked. He has given us the calling to be holy. So yes, it is our goal to strive for. So not only to lead people to follow Jesus, but lead people, again, as we're thinking from the perspective of a church body, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. So how do we accomplish this? We see some clues here, again, within Paul's mission statement. Verse 28, again, says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, familiar verses to many of us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It has profit in our lives. What for? For doctrine, meaning we learn the right things of God. For reproof, it speaks into our heart. Remember uh, Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. More than anything, the word can speak into our life and give us challenge if there's something in our life that doesn't look like Christ. 
The Word speaks into our life. The Holy Spirit of God speaks through us as He illuminates the Word and says, this particular area in your life does not reflect Christ. And because it's not reflecting Christ, not only are you not giving glory unto Him as you should, but guess what? You are robbing yourself. You are robbing yourself of the abundant life that Jesus promised to you. It's profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. As one has said before, it shows us on the path of living for the Lord. Scripture shows us where we have left the path. It shows us where we made the mistake. It shows us how to get back on the path. And then it sustains us on the path of following Jesus Christ. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So teaching man in all wisdom. Listen to this. He says in the latter part, in the last phrase of verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now we know ultimately the perfection of any person isn't even uh, a work unto themselves that they can do. It is a matter of sanctification in their life. We talked about that big word before, but it simply means when you give your life to Jesus Christ, God sees Jesus in you. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. However, we know our daily life is still growing. We're still becoming more Christ-like. Well, ultimately, that process of becoming more and more like Jesus every day in your life is ultimately the work of God in your life. However, we have personal responsibility, which is to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, to come to God's Word, to dig into God's Word and spend time with Him. And as we spend time with the Master, we as the apprentice will, of course, begin to live more like the apprentice. As we hear his admonitions in his word, we say, okay, I'm going to trust you. Instead of trusting what my friends say or trusting what, what popular culture says or trusting what my feelings say, I'm going to trust you. And it may be tough, but I'm going to do it anyway. And as we do, we continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, we have, as a church, responsibility. We can't make it happen in a person's life, but we have responsibility to challenge them to do so hebrews 10 24 through 25 and let us consider one another there's a lot more to that word than it may come through in english it means let me take my eyes off of my own situation off of my own calendar off of my own stuff that's happening in my life and let me consider my brothers and sisters in christ let me think about them let me think of where their pain is their hurt is their difficulty in life, let me think about them. Let me consider one another. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. What a perfect picture. What a wonderful picture in that Greek word that gives us stir up. If any of you have ever worked with a real wood fire, what do you do when it starts to go down? You stoke the fire. You stoke the fire and the flames begin to burn brightly again. In the same way, as brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church body like this, we are to stir one another up towards good works. Sometimes that takes the, takes the form of encouragement. Sometimes we need to encourage one another. Sometimes it takes the form of challenging one another. Sometimes it takes the difficult work because I love my brother in Christ or my brother in Christ loves me to come to me and say, Mason, this is something that kind of troubles me in your life. This concerns me. And they care enough about me to have that conversation with me. They care more about me than they care about my friendship. Meaning, they say, you know what, I care about him enough that I'm going to say something about this particular thing, even 
if it's difficult for him to hear. Stirring one another up. Stirring one another up in good works. And he says this in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not, not forsaking the gathering up of believers in a local church body as some have the manner of doing. But exhorting one another. Again, it's that challenging and encourage one another. And even more so as you see the day approaching, the second coming of Christ. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is what we're called to do as a church body. We are called to make disciples. We are called to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, lead them to the Lord. And we are to stir them up to grow in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can't do it on our own. See, replete within that passage there of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, is the fact that no Christian can grow as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as living the Christian life on an island. God has designed it in such a way that we are to grow and we grow best within fellowship of other believers. So he says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we're to stir each other up towards good works. We're to challenge each other to be on mission taking the good news of the gospel. And as we do this, as we do this, we go in these words that we see in verse 29. To this end, Paul says, to this end of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and to see them grow in Christ, to this end I labor, I labor, striving, I labor, striving. We as a church and we as individuals, we need to make this our priority. There is no greater priority in our world than to be on mission, sending people or, 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 or helping people to give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. People that are desperate and dying and helpless. And because of that, we must have the effort, effort that matches, matches the need. The need is desperate. We must have a desperation in our effort. However, we realize that we do not do it on our own. He says, to this end I also labor, striving according to what? His working. His working. He is going before us doing the work. He is going before us paving the way. And as he is paving the way, his working works in us mightily. That dunamis, dunamis in the Greek, that dynamite power. That energetic power. We don't go and we don't drudge through laboring on our own, but we go with God paving the way and we go in his power. Folks, let me leave you with this. Our mission is clear. God's power is at work. Will you be striving for the souls of the lost? Let's pray. Lord God, we can so often think of mission statements within our own place of work or business or civic organizations that we're in and think about how necessary really is this. We can say how worthwhile is it to really think about why we're here. But in the local church, if we drift from our mission if we drift from the mission that Jesus gave us in his parting days of saying, you are to go and make disciples, if we drift from that, we must ask ourselves, why are we here? Why are we here? And so God, as we have prayerfully and thoughtfully captured your great commission for us 
in the words of leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. God, may that have preeminence in our church life. God, above all things, may we not be known for programming. May we not be known for even wonderful things such as unity. But may we be known ultimately for that we are, we are a church that loves to see people, loves to see people come to faith in Christ, and we are truly leading them to follow Jesus and to live like Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. We come now to the